Uh, we're, good, we're in Ecclesi- the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're talking about living well. You know, I thought I would uh, pick a book in the Bible. Uh, we like to do a book study every summer. Uh, and so I thought I would pick a book in the Bible that would be easy. <laughs> and I guess I hadn't read Ecclesiastes much in a long time, because this is not easy to unpack, but incredibly important. In fact, where Ecclesiastes leaves off, the gospel of Jesus Christ begins. And so this morning, we're going to unpack some verses in chapter 3, 4, and 5, with chapter 3 being the major place we'll camp out this morning. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 8, very, very familiar passage of Scripture. Probably there's only a couple of passages in the Bible that are as familiar as this portion is. Uh, perhaps uh, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and maybe John 3.16. Other than that, you would have a hard time finding uh, verses in the Bible that are as well known as, uh, as, as, this, um, as this passage is. Of course, the, the, back in the, was it the 60s, the birds made a song very famous about uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. Um, we're talking today, my, my subject is expect insanity, but ex- enjoy serenity. Now, how does godly serenity work? It's not a drug. You know, if, 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 the, the kind of serenity that some people want can only be had through cannabis. They want a serenity, you can flip a switch, you can take a pill, take a drug, have an experience, and you'll be serene. It's not like, it's not a mental fog that the Lord puts on you that you don't feel the stress of life. No, what it is, it's an available option that you develop in your heart, in your soul, and in your mind. It's you develop a place to go. Some of you have developed that place, and I'm sure there's some of you in the sound of my voice who have not developed that place of calm in peace that you can go in seasons of distress. The great performers and the great champions all are able to access a place of quietness within themselves when it counts the most. The great baseball pitchers, the great quarterbacks in football, the great golfers, uh, they can all find a place when it's down to the last two minutes, they're in the playoff, they're having a playoff in golf, or they're in the last two minutes of the Super Bowl, or they're in overtime in the Super Bowl, or they're in the 16th inning of the game in baseball. They have a place they can go where they actually, things slow down for them. Well, that doesn't mean that they feel tranquil all the time or peaceful. This is not so, this this looks messier than it may sound at times this morning because you're still going to have distress no matter how much you get this down you're going to have seasons of distress but you can you can develop a place I call it the Bible calls it the secret place of the most high you can develop a place where you know you can go and you know when you're not there until you get the, 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 what I want to say this morning, maybe you, some of you have already gotten it, but until you understand this, until you understand this, you won't even know you're not there. And you won't know there is a place. There is a place of perfect peace. There is a place of perfect peace. Peace that the Bible says passes understanding. Now, let's talk for a minute. What drives us insane? We talk about insanity. 
Here's what drives us insane. It's when people and circumstances give us the opposite of what we hope for. The opposite of what we expect. Opposite sounds a lot like opposition, doesn't it? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 2 through 8, is a famous passage of the Bible. It's usually seen as this beautiful poetry about how marvelous life under the sun is. That's not what it really is. It's really a passage about how insane life is, how oppositional life under the sun is. In fact, it contains 14 opposites. Today, I want to talk to you about expecting insanity, enjoying serenity in spite of the oppositional nature of life. We read this passage casually, and you might naively conclude, everything's beautiful in its own way. You know, that's not what this passage is saying. This passage is saying everything is crazy. That's what this passage is saying. I'm going to read it in a minute. But we're going to take you to verses 9 through 14, where you'll find serenity. I love the fact that Solomon is willing to get totally honest with us about life. He's toward the end of his life now. So that's kind of what happens to you. You know, I'm getting there. I'm getting to that age where I'm starting to say what I think. It's dangerous. I'm getting to that age where I just don't care. I, I, I love it. It's, I, it's just awesome. <laughs> you know, at this stage, I've kind of, uh, you know, uh, all my critics, I think they've left anyway. <laughs> they know we, we're not going to change them. We're just going to leave. We're out of here, Mabel. <laughs> Let's read it. Ecclesiastes 3.1. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to uproot. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to tear down, a time to build. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain. A time to search, and a time to give up. A time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to tear, and a time to mend. A time to be silent, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for peace. What do we have here is opposites, good, bad, killing, having birth, opposite things in life. I've struggled with life's disparity. I've tried in vain to bring the bucking bronco called life under control, tried to find keys for getting God to do what I want him to do, to get him to, to create the seasons in life that I want to have. Um, and have learned, learning, I should say, I've learned to never say I've learned. But I'm learning in my, in my later years here, I'm getting into, I'm learning that God given time will show up in beautiful ways, if I give him time. I recall when I was a, a young kid preacher, I was about uh, 
I don't know, 2021, I got started real early doing this and was out speaking at different churches. And I had, I had a history of ear infections. And I know I've told this story before, but I, I felt like it just, I just needed to retell it today. Uh, I had a history of ear infections since a child, didn't really get great medical care. Uh, but for, for anyway, when I got into my, later, my late teen years, uh, 19, 20 years old, I just had a lot of terrific earaches. And I remember going to a doctor in Virginia somewhere. I was preaching at a church there, and I went to found a doctor, and he gave me some antibiotics. I had also at that time, I'd been listening to some guys, one in particular, some of you will know his name. I'm not trying to throw him under the bus or anything, but uh, some of you remember his name or know his name. His name was Kenneth Copeland. And I remember listening to Kenneth Copeland and how that, I just heard this message about whatever you confess, you possess. And I heard this message that uh, God operates according according to certain laws. And if you will operate according to certain laws of faith, God has no choice but to do what you told him to do. I like that. That sounded like my kind of religion. And I remember taking that antibiotics that the doctor had given me and because I'd been listening to an audio cassette of Kenneth Copeland telling me that if I took medication, it was a lack of faith. In fact, he would say things like, if you go, go to the drugstore and you buy this extra large bottle of, of, of aspirin or a headache medication, you are having faith for headaches. You're going to have headaches if you do that. And I remember taking that antibiotics and throwing it out to, to a cow pasture as far as I could throw it because I was going to sh- show God that I was a man of faith. And uh, I don't know, but eventually the earache did go away. I didn't know it, but that was a bad sign. <laughs> it was a bad sign that my ears stopped hurting. So I got, cause a, a, a few months later, uh, I got on a plane in Miami. I was, get, I was getting ready to get on a plane. I had preached in a church called Trinity Assembly of God in Miami on a Wednesday night, and after I got done preaching, I couldn't speak. I had no voice, and I'm supposed to fly to Berlin the next day to preach on the military base in Berlin, Germany. And uh, so I, I go, go, I find a doctor in Miami. Do you remember when you could just go find a doctor? Remember when you, you could just go show up at a building with doctors in it, and they would see you? It was that time in our history. So I, I found this doctor, and he looked at my throat and everything. He said, well, your throat is fine. It's just, it's just stress and you need to rest it. And he said, but your ear is another story. He said, your ear is a mess and you better get it taken care of. And uh, now here I had done this thing where I had, I had, they, they, there's even, well, I don't want to go there. That's a side trail. But I had done this thing where I'm going to I'm going to control the seasons of my life because some preacher had told me that's what I could do, that I could control the seasons of life. Now, what I want to show you in finishing up this illustration, what I want to show you is that in my way of, of, of believing in faith in those days, if I failed to get the miracle and I failed to have a season of miracles, it would mean that either my faith was too small, there was sin in my life, or that God had failed me, that God was not as great as everybody taught me he was. What God taught me in this situation 
is that he is sovereign and he's in control and he does respond to my faith, but I cannot control the universe. I cannot control biology and I cannot control molecules and cells and I cannot control bacteria with my faith. I'm not sovereign. So fast forward about three years, because I didn't, I didn't do what that doctor said. I was still going to control this without medication or medical doctors. I know, it's, I know it's inconsistent that I went to the doctor in the first place. I understand. That's crazy. That's crazy. But that's how crazy you get when you, when you don't read the word you don't study the whole counsel of God and you only pick a verse here and you pick a verse there and you try to build a theology around it. But I wake up one morning in Tampa, Florida. I'm now on staff at Evangel Temple with my brother. I wake up one morning, blood is pouring out of my left ear. So I realize, you know, it was a morning, I felt defeated. I felt like, okay, my faith doesn't work. I did everything that preachers said I was supposed to do, but my faith didn't work. And uh, I, want to, I just want to show you a picture. I just want to show you a picture of this building. Now, the reason I'm showing it to you is because I want to show you that what God showed me, even though I didn't heal you, I'm still God. Even though I didn't heal you, I'm still God. That morning, I got up. I realized I got to do something. No, no use to keep praying. No use to keep claiming Bible verses. I'm going to go to the medical profession and get help. And I call that building. Now it's changed a little bit. I think they've enlarged it some since then. That's the building I called. I, I want you to get this picture. Now I want to also sh- read, share something with you that the doctor that I ended up speaking to was named Dr. James Endicott. Now, I just looked him up this week. I'm preparing for this sermon. I decided to look him up and see what he's doing. Here's what I read on amwell.com, which is an internet physician's referral service. This is what it said about Dr. James Endicott. It said, Dr. James Endicott, MDPA, is one of the most highly rated doctors in the United States. He specializes in otolaryngology and currently treats patients in St. Petersburg, Florida. So he's still practicing. I called that building. Dr. James Endicott answered the phone. Now, I didn't know. I thought maybe I was calling a little clinic somewhere because I just got it out of the the yellow pages. I did not know. I go, uh, he, he, he says to me, you know, I told him my situation. He said, well, you know, I am totally booked today. But it sounds like you're in trouble. If you will come over, I will see you. Now, if I had gotten a, a receptionist, I would have never gotten in the Zoom. And when I went to the building, I said, this is incredible that he answered the phone. And I walk into, I walk into his, he sets me down in the chair, and he goes over, and he said, oh, let me get my camera. He was the head of... Uh, cancer, head and neck research, had a big grant and doing all, I read in the paper all about it afterward. And he goes and gets his camera. He said, I want to take your picture to show my students. He hadn't even touched me. He hadn't even touched me. It wasn't because I was so good looking. It was, this is an outstanding looking man. I want to take his picture. 
Now, he said, I can already tell that your muscles have atrophied on the right, left side, that's the left side, left side of your face, it was his right, the left side of your face, I can tell it atrophied and I want to show my students what happens when you neglect your ear. So without even touching me, he diagnosed me. And sure enough, he, 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 he examined me. He said, well, first of all, I think your nose was broken one time. Maybe I said, well, my nose never broke. He said, well, maybe it happened in the womb because you're not getting any air to your ear. First thing we're going to do is we're going to open up your nose. He did, did surgery on my nose, which was horrible. And then he went in and took out all the hearing bones. I did a radical mastoidectomy. I haven't had an earache in 40 years. <laughs> you know? And don't even pray for my healing because I can turn over and go to sleep when the rest of you are having stuff keep you awake because I just turn over my good ear. If I don't want to hear what Sherry's talking about, I just turn over my good ear. <laughs> so don't even, don't even pray. God, God knew what he was doing, right? Relax. And let God be God. I, I, I admire those faith teachers. I think they're trying to help us. I admire them. But they put a burden on people that people can't handle. We cannot handle the burden, to, burden of being sovereign God. We cannot her, have the, her, handle the burden of being God's authority. <laughs> That's too heavy a weight. And that's what Solomon is saying all over Ecclesiastes. He's saying, I put the burden of, of managing life on myself. In fact, if you look at the verses following this, we see all these things that Solomon talks about, the things we do to try to control the seasons of our life. We try hard work. We try to work hard enough to stop the insanity of the changing seasons. Ecclesiastes 3.9 says, What does the worker gain from his toil? And then we jump down to verse 22. So I saw that there's nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work because that is his lot. D don't use your work. Don't try to work hard enough to, to stay ahead of life all the time or to control the seasons of your life. You can't do it. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? You can't work hard enough to hold back all the forces of all the things, good, bad, and indifferent, that are going to happen to you in life. Go to, go to work because you enjoy working. Amen. Go to work. Now, now the, 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 look who said amen the loudest. Quentin, Quentin Virgil Matson said amen the loudest. Who else but a man who thoroughly enjoys his work? Who enjoys their work more than this man enjoys his work? We try to follow the new leaders and new trends to stop the insanity of changing seasons. It's always this, this new young leader that's on the scene now. It's going to take us into utopia. Political, social utopia. This latest trend... This latest trend in technology is going to solve the problems of mankind. And we're going to have, utopia is just around the corner. 
The, 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 the medicine, the technology, it won't be long till mankind will have no problems he cannot solve. How's that working out? Ecclesiastes 4.14 says, The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them. But those who came later were not pleased with the successor. That too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Oh, the millennials are going to save us. Well, they're going to help us a lot but they're not going to control the seasons of life. We even try praying and making promises to stop the insanity of the changing seasons. Solomon was thinking of this strategy when he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on the earth. So let your words be few. <laughs> I saw that verse on Dwight L. Moody's desk out in North, Northfield, Massachusetts. Few, several years ago, I went to his place and on his desk, Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist, on his desk were those words, God is in heaven and we are on the earth. Ecclesiastes 5, 4, and 7 says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make it and, and not fulfill it. So a vows and promises are about your relationship with God. It's not about bargaining with God to make God do everything you want Him to do. I've used this one a lot the last two years. I'm trying to get God to speed up this process of my recovery. I've made God, uh, yeah, I've had my moments when I've, when I've bargained with God. I've told God, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be more this, more that, more the other. Just get this over with. I can't control the seasons of life. Then we try to use money and uh, the status of money to stop the insanity of the changing seasons of life. But there's a parade, isn't there, of the rich and famous from Marilyn Monroe to Elvis to Michael Jackson to Whitney Houston, the Kennedy family, Lady Diana, who couldn't stop the insanity of the changing seasons. He he addresses this in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. There's never enough to make life, to make you the sovereign Lord of life. This too is meaningless, he said. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? I want to take a break. My staff back there, you're so wonderful. If you can find me an iPad so I can finish the sermon, I will appreciate it. I think you know what I'm talking about. Because I'm going to die here in a second. Um, okay, it's not what I had in mind, but thank you. Some, you know, here, 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 here's the most insane way that we deal with insanity. We try to deal with, ins- with the insanity with insanity. We try to manipulate crisis as a way of controlling the insanity, insanity of the changing seasons. 
Some people build a business plan around the next shortage. Some people learn the power of being in need. The power of being in need. The power of having a, having a crisis. We used to laugh about quartets who would come by the church and sing. Oh, you don't know what a quartet is, I'm sorry. But it's four, four men who sing har- southern gospel music in har- with harmony. It's kind of a barbershop quartet kind of thing with, with, with gospel music. Yes. You like that? Okay, I'll have a Southern Gospel Quartet. We'll do it. <laughs> I like Southern Gospel Quartet, so uh, Jason loves them too, I think. <laughs> no, 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 he doesn't. But we used to laugh because we knew when they, they came into the building, we knew their bus would have broken down. Because if they got up and said their bus was broken down, the offering would be bigger. <laughs> we learn, one way you deal with crisis is you learn that having a crisis can be very manipulative. You can get people to provide all kinds of stuff for you, food, clothing, transportation, housing, all kinds of stuff if you're in a crisis. And then there's another group of people who enjoy being needed and they have a need to be needed. So they look for crisis because now they get to feel like the hero. It's love at first sight when people addicted to neediness meet people addicted to being needed. But it always ends in divorce, right? We call them trauma addicts. Because instead, they say, oh, you can't change the seasons of life. Let's, you can't beat it, join it, <laughs> and begin to control the seasons of life. Now, by the way, most of these behaviors are healthy. Most of these behaviors are, are healthy. Who, who would say that prayer is not healthy, that working hard is not healthy, that making money is not healthy? It's, yes, these things are healthy. Even, even learning to take advantage of a crisis. These are all very, very healthy behaviors when we're not trying to accomplish utopia. When we're not trying to make the world par- perfect. That's what the problem is, and that's where we get into trouble. It's futile to do it. It's futile. It will steal all your peace and rob all your joy, and it will leave you disillusioned if you're always trying to control the seasons of life. There's a better way, and that's what we're going to get to in a minute. We're going to get to a better way. Uh, By the way, if you're following a God you uh, totally understand, you're following a God of your own invention. Chris Brady. I said, if you're following a God you totally understand, you're following a God of your own invention. And I like how Tim Keller puts it. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. (laughs) If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Let's look at the answer. We've talked about the struggle. I think we all feel it. How many of you, how many of you have done what I try to do? Try to control the seasons of life. All right? Oh, seven people, every light. <laughs> and the rest, you, you need to repent for lying. <laughs> God has an answer. It's found in verses 9 through 14. What does the worker gain from his toil? I've seen this burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. 
He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat, drink, and find satisfaction in all his toil. All his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. God has a different goal than I do. I want life to be one great big season of joy and peace and prosperity. God is working on saving this planet. God is working on bringing the kingdom of God to earth permanently. God is working on creating a new heaven and a new earth. And I just want, I just want to have a good time today. I just want to feel no pain. And God's working on a bigger deal than I am, and he's letting me be a part of it. I said he's letting me be a part of it. God has a word for us inside of these six beautiful verses that I just read. First of all, having to surrender. It, first of all, it's about having to surrender to the seasons of our lives. This is God's decision. It's not Satan. Satan is not doing this. God, it's God, it says this is a burden that God has placed on man. This is a burden that God has placed on man that we cannot control the seasons of life. God also has not made everything happen to us that happens to us, but he will make everything beautiful if we will give him time. Give him time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. We got to stop right here because some of you under the sound of my voice this morning don't understand that God needs time. You want to skip the rest of verse 11 and you want to jump into verse 12, which says there's nothing better for men than to be happy. That's your theology right there. There's nothing better for men to be happy. And you know you're not happy in the present season of your life. So God has to do something because God wants you happy. I've heard the God wants me happy defense over and over again for the last 15 or 20 years. The rest of verse 11, though, reveals why all those celebrities I mentioned a few minutes ago checked out early. It says, although we cannot fathom, we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end, he has also set eternity in the hearts of men. My theory is that they couldn't handle the nagging feeling that there's more to life than the thrill of the performance. Having millions of people want to think you're amazing. They wanted life to feel like one beautiful season, and yet their hearts knew there was something more than this life. There was something more than this reality. There was an eternal reality. Laurie Morgan, a famous country singer, sold millions and millions of, of, of recordings, gone through six marriages. And I heard her say the other day that when she's on stage, she loves it. She loves life. When she hears the, the, the thousands and thousands of people to come to hear her perform. But then she said, when I go to the bus by myself, it's the loneliest feeling 
in the world because she's been cut off from the thing that makes her happy. You know, God has wired us to know that no matter who, how good our days are here, our best days wait for us in eternity. I said, God has wired us to know that there's more to life than this. God has wired us to know that this isn't all there is. Here's my word from God to you today. Adapt to the season you're in. Love the people you're with. Trust the eternal plan that's much too big for one lifetime. I said, let me say it again. Let, let's read it together. Adopt to this, adapt. adapt I could say adopt, but I've said adapt. Adapt to the season you're in. Love the people you're with. Trust the eternal plan that's much too big for one lifetime. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Message Bible and about 30 great books, he's uh, now retired, goes to church uh, in a fairly small Lutheran church out in Montana. He wrote this the other day. He said, in church last Sunday, there was a couple in front of us with two bratty kids. Two pews behind us, there was another couple with their two bratty kids making a lot of noise. This is mostly an older congregation, so these people are set in their ways. Their kids have been gone a long time, so it wasn't a very nice service. It was just not a very good worship. <laughs> See, I mean, he's, he's 89, so he's going to say what he thinks. But afterward, afterward, I saw half a dozen of those elderly people come up and put their arms around their, that mother, touch those kids, and sympathize with her. They could have been irritated. What did those... And by the way, Dad, they were curmudgeon Norwegians. What did those curmudgeon Norwegians understand that Solomon tried to tell us. They adapted to the season of the day. They adapted to what was going on. They didn't wish for what was or what would be. They adapted to what was. When we become irritable and resentful and angry, it's a sign that we're not adapting. We're not adapting to the season of life that we're in. We're not adapting to the people that God has put in our path to love. We're being, we're being, we're not adjusting. Therefore, we're being maladjusted. God has ordained that you go with the flow. Don't make waves, ride waves. Adapt to the season of life. He says again, he writes further in this article, and in this same church, this same church recently welcomed a young woman with a baby and a three-year-old boy. The children were baptized a few weeks ago, but there was no man with her. She's never married. Each of these kids has a different father. She shows up in church and wants her children baptized. She's a Christian and wants to follow in the Christian way. So a couple from the church acted as godparents. Now there are three or four couples in this Norwegian, Curmudgeon, Lutheran Church. 
Now there's three or four couples in the church who every Sunday get together with her. I love that. That's the kind of church I'm a part of. That's what Bethany Community Church is like. I mean that. I don't have to tell you to be like that. That's what you're like. I talked to a lady this week, and I told her I wanted to share this, and I told her I didn't want to call names because it's a sensitive situation. Some of you will know her because you know her. Some of you want. Most of you want. But she comes to this church. She's a grandma. She's a great aunt. And she has a niece, a great niece, I should say, a great niece and and her husband who are drug addicts and live in a bad part of Providence. She was so stressed and irritated about this and bothered by this. You know what she did? She decided, I'm going to go drive to Providence and start bringing those kids to church. The first Sunday, the little boys, I don't want to go there. I'm not, I don't want to go to that place. Why don't you take us to this place? After church, he said, can we come back next Sunday? And they came to Daily Vacation Bible School every day this week, I believe. What did that woman do? She quit cursing the season of her life. And she adapted to the season of her life. Because God will show up some way, somehow, somewhere, sometime, if you will give him time. Somebody say amen this morning. It's good preaching. (laughs) Celebrate that your Redeemer's stories, what's that that aunt being, that she's being a Redeemer? What are those... Carmageddon Lutherans, Norwegian Lutherans, they're being redeemers. Celebrate that your redeemer stories will ever for forever be a part of the redemption story of the planet. See? I don't want to see the hard work that I put in at Bethany Community Church for 29 years. I don't want to see it go up in smoke. I really don't. I don't want to see the church fold. I don't want to see it go under. I'm not wishing for that. I hope that it goes on to, I hope your great-great-grandchildren are part of a great church that just gets bigger and greater and more influential in the community. But if it doesn't work out like that, and it falls, or something happens, something changes, it happens all the time, happens all the time, eternally, it's Okay. Because I didn't waste my life. Because God's got all my stuff and all my family has done. He's got it waiting for me in the kingdom that's coming. And it's well preserved. It's taken care of. He's noted every he's noted stuff that you don't even know. He knows every every prayer that's been prayed. You know, in the book of Revelation, it talks about there's this verse in chapter eight of Revelation, he talks about taking the prayers of saints. In, 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 in a big bottle uh, and pouring them out as a form of judgment on the world in the, in the coming kingdom. Nothing's wasted. That's what Solomon figured out. Nothing is wasted. Everything is saved. 
because you have connected your life to the Savior. He's a Savior. I say he's a Savior. He's redeeming everything you've ever done. He's forgiven everything you've ever done wrong. He's forgiven every sin you've ever committed. And he's saving every good deed you ever did and every charitable deed and every kind word you've ever spoken. He's saving it and he's going to build the coming kingdom out of your good works. One of the seven expressions on the cross, or out of the seven expressions on the cross. Talk about insanity. Talk about insanity. The best man who ever lived is being crucified for being a thief. And he expressed himself seven times on the cross. Five of those, those expressions were Christ expressing and seeing a beautiful opportunity for serenity from the stage of insanity. He shared his serenity in the place of the greatest insanity. He shared his redemption in the place of the greatest wrong. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Today, you will be with me in paradise, he said to a thief on the cross. To his mother who was standing there, he said, behold, your son, to John, meaning you take care of my mother. Talk about someone who adapted. He adapted to the season of his life. This is my season to suffer. Only two expressions weren't positive. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even that has implications to adaption. He died with unanswered questions. You're gonna, if you're going to do this right, you're going to die with some unanswered questions. And then he says, it is finished. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Do we get what I just said? Do you understand? A man who adapted to the seasons of life saved the world. I expected more enthusiasm at that point. <laughs> Do we understand the grace of surrendering to the seasons of our lives without losing our optimism that God is making all things beautiful in his time? How could you simply love people and adapt to reality? That's the question I want to leave with you today. You know when opposing reality happens to me this week, in that moment, I'm going to try to be gentle with that thing or that person that is ruining my day, bursting my bubble, just being oppos oppositional to my utopia. I'm going to try to think they're in a battle for survival, self-esteem, and serenity just like me. And I'm going to try to bless instead of curse. I'm going to try to listen instead of snap. I'm going to try like I do, not to sigh, not to roll my eyes. I'm going to try. Would you join me in trying these activities this week? Would you join me? My mother used to say, you're so mad, I'm so mad I could bite a nail into. I'm going to try not to be so mad I could bite a nail into this week. Imagine what could happen if this became a room full of people who stopped responding to insanity 
with so much anger and so much irritation, but we responded to insanity with serenity. Not because we're passive, but because we've learned that panic is not a divine emotion, but peace is. And we go with God. Let us pray. Father, bring us to the altar where we can give our lives again to you. And we can know your peace and we can know your joy. Right now, we have prayer partners that are here to pray with you. And if you're in this place today and you see, you know, I'm going through one of those seasons of life where it's hard and it's difficult. And I'm not handling it graciously, but I want God to help me. Good news, God is here to help you. He understands you. He's been through those seasons too. And he's here to help you. I want you to come and let these prayer partners pray for you. I want you to come and take communion. There's communion here and there's communion in the back. I want you to enter into communion and find the peace of God that passeth understanding. Let's give God time. Would you come? You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.